Hello and welcome to episode 404 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi. And listeners, uh, maybe you celebrate the Lunar New Year, maybe you don't. But the uh, Year of the Dragon officially began on February 10th earlier this month. And uh, to celebrate the Year of the Dragon, I think I mentioned this on previous episodes, we're going to have several dragony episodes of Retro Encounter in a row starting today with uh, a bit of a, an appreciation station for one of our favorite characters. But uh, who we're going to talk about, uh, I'll leave that for a few moments. First, let's introduce my co-panelist, John O'Logan. Hello, everyone. John um, I think it's well documented on RPG Fans Network of Podcasts that you and I enjoy a Yakuza game, a, a Like a Dragon game, if you will. Mm-hmm. I think that Like a Dragon is the... We should go with the Like a Dragon as a title for this. I know it's, it's interchangeable, but given, given the current year, Like a Dragon. Yeah, I mean, I think the official rebrand began in 2020 when a game that maybe would have been Yakuza 7 in a different timeline was called Yakuza Like a Dragon. And then starting with Like a Dragon Ishin last year, they're officially translating Ryugakutoku more literally into Like a Dragon, and it's going to be called Like a Dragon Forevermore, including last month's Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, a video game I beat uh mere days ago i uh uh yeah i um i'm still riding a little bit of a high for how much i enjoyed like a dragon infinite well spoiler alert we're doing a spoiler cast on that uh in another month or so so excited to do a spoiler cast oh yeah oh man i i I know i'll still be thinking about that game in in a few weeks so i'm not that's not going to be an issue um remembering details about that game but we don't want to talk about like a dragon infinite wealth today because it's so recent we're going to give that its own episode um Mm. today we want to talk about the dragon of dojima to celebrate the year of the dragon with like a dragon's protagonist kazuma kiryu um jano i don't know if you were on any of these episodes but we used to do something called rpg villains here on retro encounter starting in i think i think 2018 or maybe 2017 where we would uh take a classic uh villain from uh, from a a video game RPG and then break them down. What makes them interesting? What makes them fun? Why sometimes we even appreciate a villain more than a game's heroes. And um, th- those were really good. We did the episodes on Kefka, Luca Blight, Pokey Minch, um, the, uh, the killer in persona four and uh, probably a couple others I'm forgetting. And those are really good. In fact, I'm, I'm thinking about reviving RPG villains uh, later this year, but um, th- th- that's not here nor there yet. Um, but I kind of want to do a hero's version of that just to analyze a character in depth using some categories, some canned questions and and just, you know, appreciating a great video game hero for who he is. And, uh, and that's a a very, very circuitous way of saying that I think we love Kazuma Kiryu and he deserves his own podcast episode. Certainly. And especially given that it's the year of the dragon. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, Kazuma Kiryu is the dragon of Dojima, a legendary Yakuza that, uh, has gone through many trials and tribulations over the course of, oh, geez. I, I mean, at least 10 games, maybe 15, Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games, nine games as himself, but some of the right. might be 12 or 13 as dreams or past lives. <laughs> I mean, I mean, depending on, on how you, uh, break down, uh dead souls ishin kenzan no i don't think he cameos in judgment or lost judgment or or uh or black leopard those (laughs) the the, uh the psp um arena fighting games that were uh, made by an otome game developer (laughs) yeah um ryu gagotoku studio which used to be just a uh a separate development team within sega so has sort of made this series or this world their entire uh their entire oeuvre and um since yakuza one back in 2005 or ryu gagotoku back in 2005 um we we've had i think almost 20 games uh set in various corners of this fictional version of japan uh including those two historical games that we mentioned the um the dead souls the uh the zombie movie of a game uh the uh the adaptation of a uh, fist of the north star um from 2019 which is technically my first ryu gagotoku studio game um, but most of them have centered around Kazuma Kiryu, who, uh, what to say about him? He is superhumanly strong, very stoic, um, uh, starts out a little bit, 
uh, a little bit wooden, but then like evolves over the course of these multiple games into just a a paladin of crime justice. Yeah, a, a paladin. Yeah, a uh, a person of endless compa- uh, compassion and also endless stamina. Uh, someone who just gets into the most ridiculous situations, both uh, both serious, dramatic ones and extremely trivial ones. <laughs> Characterized by his complete inability to say no to any random Yahoo on the street. Yeah, holy moly! Like it, it's, it, it, I, I feel like even more than like an MMO character, uh, an MMO player character, Kiryu just has quests thrust upon him in in a way, and and they get just increasingly silly, sometimes poignant, sometimes pointless, but always j- just you know rarely ever asked for. Let's say, mm. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, I've written um. A series of, I guess, I guess it's eight questions or categories that we're going to use to break down the Dragon of Dojima. Um, uh, are, are you ready to start it off, uh, Jono? Or do we, absolutely do we, okay? We, 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 no more further remarks before we get going. No, I think we're pretty good. I think that uh, let's take it. We, I think we can handle this. This is going to be exciting. So, category number one: best achievement. What is the best, most impactful thing Kiryu has accomplished over the course of his games? I'll give you a couple suggestions, but and you can pick one of those or. Uh, or pull from your own deck of cards. Is mm. it uh, um, becoming the fourth chairman of the Tojo clan with a, a mind for reform? Is it uh, on multiple occasions releasing tens of billions of yen to uh, to the, um, the citizens of Tokyo? <laughs> is, is it uh, is it um, saving multiple yak- uh, Yakuza groups from extinction over the course of multiple games? You can almost pick and choose which game and which Yakuza group gets saved by Kiryu and from game to game. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, exposing a uh exposing japan constructing an illegal battleship over the course of yakuza 6 or is it uh dis uh, or at least being part of a conspiracy to um dissolve most of the organized crime in japan in like a dragon 7 hmm see here's the thing there's a lot of ways you could break this down like on a personal level what's the best thing he's ever done on a one-to-one level, I would argue that the uh, biggest thing is Haruka. Like, she, he saved her life and gave her a life. She'd be dead. Uh, he was her daughter. Uh, you could argue that on a moral level, taking care of the orphans was probably one of the biggest things in his life, becoming Yakuza dad. I think that the thing that had the biggest impact uh, is in Yakuza 4, actually, um, where the other... A lot of the other games, like you said, they focus on various factions of the Yakuza, these these crime fa- these crime families uh, fighting each other. Uh, in Yakuza Four, it is a convoluted plot, but the at the end, what he does essentially is save law enforcement in Japan from a massive level of corruption. It is a huge amount of police reform happening at once, and and I, if I'm not mistaken. It's it's Tanimura and not Kiryu that fights him, but the final boss of the game is the commissioner of the Tokyo police. Yeah, and if like for trying to take control of all the Yakuza factions, and it's 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 the impact of that. And admittedly, this isn't Kiryu by himself. Like Yakuza four and five are both uh, team based affairs. Let's put it that way. It's a team effort, but the the impact that he had there was. Uh, I'd say Japan-wide in a way that everything else was Yakuza-wide, but this changed the face of that country. That's a great point, and I'm going to do something similar to you and actually not go with one of the things I suggested. I was I was going to have like two secret, th- two secret <laughs> bonus uh, <laughs> um, uh, answers to this first question that are sort of my, my, my joint favorites. One is... Uh, I mean, this technically wasn't Kiryu, but in Like a Dragon Ishin, he um, is instrumental in the reform of the Japanese uh, government and restore and uh, and the creation of in- Imperial Japan mm-hmm. as as Ryoma Sakamoto, one of the most important figures in in, in the Bakumetsu period, which is you know a, a period of around fifteen years or so that was that really shaped what Imperial Japan was, and then after the fall of Imperial Japan in World War II, created modern Japan. So. I, I think that the events of the of the Bakumetsu are more impactful than almost anything in one of the modern Yakuza games. But that wasn't technically curious. So I'm not sure it counts. The answer <laughs> that I like the best actually is being a father figure to uh, I think eight or nine orphan characters, including his first foster daughter Haruka, and and uh, and basically just being a positive presence in their lives so they can they they can grow up in a in a supportive environment. He he has saved the lives of many, many people 
over the course of these Yakuza games. But I think he really made the lives of those orphans at uh, at Morning Glory. So I, I think that he probably views his greatest accomplishment as the um, the upbringing of those orphans at the orphanage. I 100% agree with you. That is definitely what he would believe his most impactful thing is. And you can really see that in uh, in his reaction at the end of a game that I do not like, but at the end of Man Who Erased His Name, when confronted with the reality of what he did for these kids, that's the only... You haven't seen Kiryu cry like that since uh, since the death of one of his friends in Yakuza Oh, 3. yeah, man. He he ugly cries like a One Piece character in that in that game. Um, and, and I think uh, we've talked about Like a Dragon Gaiden a little bit on uh, on podcasts. I, I think I liked the game a little more than you did. I think you would have to actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I think I think it's a pretty it's pretty middling for a Yakuza game. I, I don't think it totally earns its fifty dollar uh, at launch price tag um, uh, in USD, of course. But uh, mm. but but the ending is really heartbreaking and uh, and demonstrates how much uh, Kiryu uh, misses Haruka and the Morning Glory orphans and. Uh, and, and and yeah, they they yeah, they bring it up in uh, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth a little bit in a way that is hugely exciting and nostalgic for uh, mm-hmm. for me. And you you know the scenes I'm talking about. I do know the scenes, and, and we'll but be talking about them in a few. Those weeks. those will be for another day. But uh, yeah, so that we I think we're um yeah that that's a nice discussion of a few of Kiryu's achievements. Of course, I, of course, arguably saving the world from a zombie apocalypse probably is uh, one of the most important things he's ever done, but non-canon. Well, I think it's time to move on to another category now. This one's a little bit hard to do because Kiryu, I think, is almost always justified in his actions. Uh, and so he and he never knowingly commits crimes or or performs evil actions with malicious intent. Mm-hmm. But uh, so this category probably is a better fit for those villains episodes we used to do. And it's called Worst Behavior. What is the least defensible or most awful thing that Kiryu does over the course of the games? I, I have a few suggestions. Um one of them is tacitly endorsing uh, all of all Yakuza activity as being a prominent member of that community. And at one point, the chairman of a major Yakuza clan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it uh, likely committing uh, murder or grievous bodily harm to hundreds of, of individuals <laughs> over the course of these games? Kiryu doesn't kill anybody. He's never <laughs> killed anybody. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> or is it uh um in the act in in his acts of mercy sparing uh certain individuals that went on to commit worse crimes or uh or or murder on their own and i'm talking about characters like oh like like hamazaki or 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 even majima in, Yak- in yakuza one like like kiryu always demonstrates mercy towards his opponents and some of his opponents go on to uh commit even greater violence with more malice than kiryu so what do we think it is is it his being part of the yakuza world him actually um resorting to violence or him sparing worse offenders or something else and i encourage you to pick your own okay uh, i think the worst thing the worst behavior this by far the stupidest thing that kiryu has ever done and i'm not going to talk about the man who erased his name because arguably that his his the circumstances that he finds himself in that game are incredibly dumb um but equally dumb, I would argue, are his actions at the beginning of Yakuza 6, The Song of Life. Uh, oh, is that w- w- him willingly going back to prison? Going back to prison for three years for crimes he, like, yeah, it, arguably he committed them. But, like, the reality is they were trumped up charges. They needed to blame somebody. He could have beaten them, but he didn't. He said, oh, I'm going to go to prison for three years and then walk away and have a peaceful life with my kids. It was so stupid and respectfully screwed up everyone's life like to a to a degree that that the stupidity of that decision destroyed many of the lives that people then had to rebuild over time um yeah sure it you know him leaving led to uh haruka having a son but like her circumstances were hardly good and considering that they fridged her almost in that game and she almost died and her son was kidnapped, like everything, it just was so stupid. And I felt really unmotivated, to be honest. I didn't see the logic of it, aside from Kiryu being ridiculously naive. And to be fair, there are periods where Kiryu is ridiculously naive. And the crazy thing about that is at the beginning of Yakuza 6, if, if my memory serves, I mean, I, I beat this game two years ago, I think, like Daigo and Saijima and others 
like try to talk him out of it. He's he's like, no, no, you don't do this, Kiryu. Let uh, like let, let the lawyers take care of it and only come to court or accept charges if they really are thrust upon you. If you by turning yourself in like this is not going to help anyone except for your except for your own ego and conscience. Mm-hmm. And it, it yeah, it, it goes basically poorly. It's um uh, every one of the orphanage suffers as a result of his actions. And I'm, and I'm not saying that Haruka was you know wrong to. Um, to, uh, get a boyfriend and have a kid. Uh, some outcomes would have been avoided, and 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 lives would have been improved if he hadn't done that. Oh, spe- like spectacularly, everyone's life would have been arguably better. Um, he could have had that peaceful life with his foster children. All he needed to do was accept a little bit of help, and he would have. He could have just gone back to the orphanage. That was it. He the, that community knew who he was. They would have protected him. It could have been a happy ending for him, and I think that decision ruined his life in a way that continues to ruin his life into uh, infinite wealth. We've been dancing around this a little bit. Like uh, Kiryu always takes on the burdens of others, rarely if ever accepts help, um, uh, believes that uh, that his past is dragging down others around him. That That's a, uh, a recurring theme in mm. pretty much every Yakuza game since the first. And uh, I, I think, I mean, uh, like a dragon, infinite wealth is, if, if anything, Kiryu confronting the uh, those toxic behaviors of himself, or uh, if, if not toxic, the, those um, those like self destructive behaviors. Oh yeah, and the self destruct behavior is fascinating because you are right. Like Kiryu, although he is portrayed as a a very modest man, like he is not. He knows his importance. He knows who he was. He knows this his history. But Kiryu constantly underestimates his own importance to those who are who the, to those who love him. Like when he leaves to spend three years in prison, or when he leaves at the end of uh, Yakuza Six because he uh, he says that you know, he he makes that deal, or in Yakuza Five when you know Haruka is becoming a uh, pop star and he has to hide who he is. He constantly underestimates the love of others. And oftentimes makes their life worse because he's like, no, I, I must, I must make my, I must hide. I must go away. I must run. I must, so they can live without me without realizing that they love him and he makes their lives better. Yeah. Like, and it's a fascinating, he just constantly underestimates. I mean, that's his, honestly, if you want to think about it, that's his original sin. He looks at Nishki and he says, you would, I, I, I'm not important. I, it's better off if I'm not there, if I take the blame for this. It's even worse in, in Yakuza 1, in the, I think in the Kiwami version, uh, more so than the original. You get those cutscenes of of what happened to Nishiki while Kiryu was in prison. Oh, and yeah. everyone's saying, man, it should have been you instead of Kiryu in, uh, in jail right now. And and uh, and the deep resentment and suffering that, Nish- that happens to Nishiki while Kiryu is in prison makes Nishiki a worse person and the Tojo clan a worse place. And mm. and so so like... Kiryu always believes he's making the selfless decision or the, the or a decision that will protect others when really he, it, sometimes he makes the suffering around him worse. But yeah. uh, but uh, I mean, that, that was a, a random, a, a somewhat rambling discussion of, of part of Kiryu's character, which is welcome. But <laughs> staying on task here a little bit, the worst thing that Kiryu does over the course of all these games, I, I, I'm going to give a bit, a bit of a boring answer. Uh, I think Kiryu is should be handled critically in the same way a lot of fans handle batman like batman and kiryu both um insist on never killing anyone and avoiding actual murder Mm. as much as possible but an unthinkable number of people are maimed or uh or grievously injured or hospitalized uh and and possibly even permanently or or uh, or over the course of these games all the street fighting kiryu does and all of the violence he commits ruins a number of lives that we don't see because they are background or minor characters. I, I was waiting for years for a later Yakuza game to uh, have a sub story where Kiryu is challenged by some scrub that was sent to the hospital for a year because he lost to a, f- a fight. A g- he lost to Kiryu in a fight uh, in some earlier Yakuza game. I never mm. got, I never got that, but uh, <laughs> like, I, I just, I mean, you can think of this with any video game where there's a lot of cartoon violence, but um there's a lot of uh, Yakuza scenes or like a dragon scenes in hospitals. Mm-hmm. How many people did Kiryu send to the hospital over the course of nine plus games? Mm-hmm. I think it's a staggering number. 
Amanda and I have a joke about this. We used to watch the show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a lot. And this is this hyper, you know, professional spy organization. But they never kill anyone. They just leave people. They shoot them, stun them, leave them on the ground. Who Inevitably, they will wake up and cause more problems. Uh, And this is very much a thing that Kiryu does, which is he he doesn't end the problem. He, He lets them get up. And oftentimes, they swear revenge or they come back later in the thing. But the funny thing is Ichiban does the exact same thing. Ichiban has that exact same arguable character flaw where he will uh, forgive or he will uh, not kill his enemies. The difference, though, is Ichiban does the work. Ichiban really goes out of his way to build relationships with with his enemies in a way that Kiryu just leaves them with a couple of words of wisdom sometimes or like a, a last taunt and walks away leaving them swearing revenge, whereas Ichiban actually puts in the work to reform the villains. Like, they both give the opportunity for the villain to reform, but Ichiban actually helps them on their way, helps them decide, helps them realize what they're doing is wrong, where Kiryu doesn't do that. He just kind of lets them make their own decision, and oftentimes that decision is a bad one. Yeah, I mean, I mean Ichiban makes a similarly self-destructive and selfless decision at, the, at, at his first game, uh, this episode is not about him. But I don't mind going into Ichiban a little bit, a little bit. But I- Ichiban is very interested in rehabilitation and helping people when they're down. While Kiryu is more content to just let pe- to just let people that are down stay down. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it does pay off. Like at the end of Yakuza Three, for example, uh, when he beats the living hell, he he finally beats um, uh, Mine on the top of the tower. And then Mine, it, you know, he lets him live. And then Mine redeems himself by pushing Richardson off the tower to their death. Like sometimes it works, but oftentimes it doesn't. And you kind of see that at the end of the, at the end of three again, where Hamazaki stabs him. And yeah, Hamazaki redeems himself in Yakuza four a bit, but still, like if Kiryu put in the work to actually redeem these people rather than just let them live, I think that he would see better results. Hamazaki's an interesting character. I'm not saying he deserves a villains episode, but he he really does go through a journey over Yakuza three and four. And he was in the original version of Ishin, where mm-hmm. he was one of the Shinsengumi officers, but his role was replaced with Kuze in the Kiwami version of Ishin that most of us played. I think he deserved more than dying off screen. Yeah, I agree. That's it's some interesting things. I mean. It, this is a joke answer, I, I know, and I'm courting controversy by saying it, but arguably the worst behavior in a sub-story is in Yakuza, uh, in Yakuza 1, where uh, he beats the living hell out of a trans woman, and then he beats the living hell out of a trans man in the same sub-story. And arguably, like, regardless whether you're coming at it from a inclusive or a transphobic point of view, Kiryu beat up a woman in that sub-story. Kind of, it, it's, it's very much, it was a moment that was so out of character for him. And I was like, what the, like, I didn't even know who he was at that point. Cause it was the first Yakuza game I played, but I was like, what the hell is this? Like, this isn't, this doesn't feel like the character. The, the Yakuza slash like a dragon series relationship with the trans community is so confusing because oh, you have, you have some ridiculous. openly, some openly transphobic scenes, but then two rather excellent trans characters in the masseuse in Yakuza three and the bar mama at earth angel in multiple Yakuza games. So yeah. I, like I'm I'm not I I think it might have to do with um the change in directors and writers of the, uh, in charge of the Like a Dragon series over the over the progression of the entire series. Yes, but uh, and it also has to do with changing cultural norms within Japan itself. Right, but uh, but it's they it, they've always had a slightly confusing uh, tone with the uh, with LGBT folks. That that is maybe an entire different episode. But let, let, let's yeah. actually let's try to move on. Um, the yeah, next no cat. Next category I have is singular moment and uh, mm. not looking at an individual achievement. Um, uh, what is the coolest single action or scene that Kiryu takes part in? Like in this, this can be something involving martial arts or violence. It can be uh, just a moment of drama or surprise, um, but we're not talking about like impact or his greatest accomplishment, just a single awesome, cool thing that you remember from these dozen plus games. I, I tried to come up with a list of these, but I almost, it almost, I almost was just going through every single boss fight. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, don't, I don't know how, uh, uh, how much of a point there is, but um, n- again, not including like a dragon infinite wealth, which has some great Kiryu scenes. Uh, what mm-hmm. do you think is the coolest singular Kiryu moment? That's a real tough question. Um, I mean, there are some real, really good Kiryu scenes, especially in some of the earlier games. Uh, like, 
I mean, for his his first confrontation with Nishiki, for example, or not his last conversa- uh, confrontation with Nishiki, for example, is a classic example of of the Dragon of Dojima pulling himself up. And uh, hmm, I think that another great another great scene is storming the boat at the end of Yakuza Zero. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go with that. It is not the biggest fight Kiryu ever had, but it was the first moment where Kiryu was genuinely confronted with a choice to kill someone uh and he didn't and it was the moment where he became the dragon of dojima uh and it's like it's iconic um i I don't want to spoil yakuza zero in case someone's listening here although i find it very unlikely someone would listen to this episode and not know at least a little bit about yakuza zero but the final boss of yakuza zero takes off their shirt and reveals a green dragon tattoo and um and that person is also part of the dojima clan and basically the, the final battle of Yakuza Zero is there can only be one dragon in Dojima, and we and we know who wins that fight. It's yeah. it's, it's awesome. It's a it's again starting with, I, I would say starting with Yakuza Five and maybe including the Kiwami versions of uh, one and two. That's when Yakuza boss fights get really awesome and dramatic, mm-hmm. and and there's hardly a bad one, um, or at least a bad major one over the course of all those games. Yakuza Zero is an incredible game for so many reasons. It just it's on the on a purely having fun playing it level. It's a fantastic game, but it's so successful as a prequel, like unbelievably successful as a prequel. Like a lot of prequels, you watch it and you walk you walk away thinking, oh yeah, that's that's where that character came from, I guess. But you walk away from Yakuza Zero with so, uh, so much more of a deeper understanding of who Kiryu is. And, and Majima and Nishiki. And Majima and Nishiki. Yeah, but like you walk away with it and nothing feels like it's fan service in Yakuza 0 to me. It feels like everything in it serves the story going forward. And it's, I think it's, I mean, obviously I think Yakuza 0 is just wonderful. Uh, but I think that moment is such a defining moment in his life and his philosophy. And the moment where he decides that he isn't just going to be a Yakuza who beats the crap out of people. Because the game starts with him being a yakuza thug who in later games kiryu just would have beat the crap out of like he really is just like a a hired muscle and then by the end of the game he decides who he is and who he is going to be and i think that is a pretty iconic and singular moment i'm gonna go for a much dumber answer here i (laughs) thought please go ahead i thought it was so hilarious and also so intimidating when he just punches two tigers in the face in yakuza 2 (laughs) yeah it's great it's really great tigers are maybe the most dangerous land mammal like they they are they will murder everything that that's that they reasonably can and here you fights two of them alone and in yakuza 7 your entire party of at least five or six people by then can can barely handle one Actually, that entire sequence, it just even outside of Kiryu, that entire sequence where he storms the castle, and like it's the entire sequence is just one of the most iconic sequences in Yakuza. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's already so ridi- it's already ridiculous that the well-known historical landmark Osaka Castle splits in half to reveal a second golden Osaka Castle, but mm-hmm. then Kiryu has to storm the castle to rescue Haruka, fight two tigers, um, Gota, the, the the Yakuza. Um, uh, the dragon of Kansai. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the dragon of Kansai that's, that's been that's been hunt that's been hunting him or challenging him over the course of the game shows up. It's there's so much crazy machismo moments in all of the Yakuza games, but I still get can't get over him just n- n- like knocking two tigers unconscious. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> moment. I, I I'll give you that. I mean, arguably the most singular moment in his life is winning the cabaret club, but you know. Oh yeah, no, yeah, um, in uh, in 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 again, Yakuza Kiwami too. Um, bringing Club Forshine back to prominence. Yes, and getting his uh, getting a golden statue of himself. Oh, and making the famous uh, new number four symbol for Forshine. Oh God, I I would if, if they made the uh, hostess bar management mini game into a cell phone game, I would probably lose hundreds of hours of productivity at work. It feels like that would be a cell phone game from a previous era, but if they had done it, it would have been such a big hit. They oh, kind of missed a trick with that one. I, I want I want to play a Yakuza game that's just only sub stories, but get, but gives us truly excellent versions of real estate and 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 cabaret club. Mm, that would be interesting. Just you're not even playing. You're just you're just a guy walking through walking through Camarocho. 
and there's fights going on around you and you're just like, oh, there's another fight going on. Uh, and you just do things. You just do your job. You don't actually get into fights. You have to hire bodyguards and uh, and you can't access certain parts of town until your bodyguards are good enough. I think that's a great idea for a spinoff. I, I mean, it's, it's never going to happen because they have to make uh, they have to make fighting a principal part of any uh, like a dragon <laughs> game. But it, it, it's fun to theory craft like that. But anyway, um, we mentioned Goda and Mine and Nishiki already. But uh, the next category is greatest opponent. Um, Kiryu has fought a ton of different Yakuza foils over the course of these many, many games um, in terms of emotional impact or in terms of, uh, of of just how powerful and intimidating they are. Who do you think is uh, Kiryu's greatest opponent? I'll give a couple suggestions. There's Nishiki Yama or Nishiki, uh, um, uh, Kiryu's best friend from his or- orphanage days who, uh, who rises to um, head his own family in Yakuza 1 and he is the final boss of Yakuza 1. There's Ryuji Goda, the uh, strongest fighter in the entire Omi Alliance, which is the largest Yakuza alliance in all of Japan. He's from Osaka. He's You fight him as an elementary school student in Yakuza 0, which is still <laughs> hilarious. <Then there's, laughs> that guy looks like pants stealing. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. Then there's Yoshitaka Mine, who's a bit more of a planner and a thinker than Nishikiyama or uh, or Goda. Um, and he's a absolutely ruthless samurai who... I'm sorry, samurai. An absolutely ruthless Yakuza who is a close confidant of uh, of Kiryu's friend Daigo Dojima and um, is orchestrating a, pl- a plot that could... Uh, either um, bring the Tojo clan to prominence or ruin it. Uh, but Kiryu fighting Mine is sort of a battle for his own soul against someone who is in many ways uh, could have been an, a second Kiryu if his, if his upbringing was a little different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other one that I, that I'm sort of considering for this <laughs> is Daisaku Kuze from Yakuza zero. He's oh, not, yeah. he's not the final boss of Yakuza zero, but he is the guy that fights Kiryu the most. And I think teaches Kiryu the most of what being a Yakuza that never that uh, always gets back up means like 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 um Shintaro Kazama is is Kiryu's me- uh, mentor but I think that like like who he is and the kind of tough person he is y- you see the future Kiryu in what Kuze is and by the end of the game Kuze who always thought of uh um of Kiryu as sort of just being a young pup and not ready for the big time Mm. Kuze acknowledging Kiryu as a real Yakuza man I think is part of Kiryu's growth and and, and which makes I think Kuze is the best villain in Yakuza 0 but I'm very biased in that regard I think you make an excellent point there yeah because the the point isn't isn't beating Kuze the point is Kuze who tells Kiryu exactly this that a real Yakuza doesn't stay down a real Yakuza gets up and keeps getting up until uh until it's mission accomplished and i think that's an attitude that is reflected in kiryu it, throughout the course of the games and i wonder if like if, if kuze was an influence to kiryu similar to how uh um nishitani was an influence to majima in the same game mm. I think you're right. And speaking of Majima, my fifth answer is Goro Majima. That's Uh, what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah, Kiryu's foil and rival in almost every Yakuza game. I think Majima is either playable or a boss battle in every single Yakuza game slash like a dragon game other than six, (laughs) which makes, which which makes Yakuza six even stranger in retrospect. Majima, Majima is just the best. He's, he's one of the best characters in the game. I think one of the best moments in Yakuza like a dragon is when you fight against him and Sajima, and then you—it's a hard fight. And then at the end of the fight, they're like, "Yeah, that was a good—that was a good fight." All right, guess we're gonna let go now. And th- your party is like, "What? What are you talking about? You weren't giving it your all." That's brilliant, and that's kind of Majima. Like these characters are legends in a way that Ichiban and his party just aren't. Like—that's one of the things I like about the new games. Is I, I know it's gameplay mechanics and the fact it's party based, etc. But like. Ichiban and the rest of them, they're just not on the same level as Kiryu and uh, Saijima and um, and Majima. They're just not. And I like that. That makes them kind of feel more like underdogs instead of the the superheroes that they these characters are in the other games. But we're getting off topic there. Um, Majima. Yeah, I'm going to go with Majima. And I'll tell you why. You have down here greatest opponent. You don't have greatest enemy. If it was greatest enemy, that would be a different answer. But greatest opponent... Uh, I would argue a great your greatest opponent is someone who challenges you every single time and makes you into a better, I guess, fighter or person. And in that sense, I think 
it, it, it gets really narrowed down to uh, uh, to Majima, maybe maybe Gota. I like Majima. I'm gonna go with Majima for greatest opponent. I think that's the right answer as well. Like I, I, I really just wanted the uh, an opportunity to talk about Nishiki, Gota, Mine, and Kuze for like a minute each, but then ultimately arrive at Majima because uh, yeah. because because Kiryu and Majima change each other over the course of these games, and uh, and if if uh, Yakuza or slash Like a Dragon has a breakout character, it probably is Majima. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Majima is just a brilliant character. Majima was a brilliant character before Yakuza Zero. And then Yakuza Zero happened, and like it just put them over the top. I'm still surprised that they've they kind of followed up with Yakuza Zero in the DLC for Yakuza to, uh, Kiwami Two, uh, where you, you they picked up on some of the plot threads of Zero. But yeah, they I think it was key, I think that was DLC in the Japanese version, but was baked into the uh, North American version. Yeah, the Majima Saga, um, which was essentially a uh, it was essentially a prequel to the events of Yakuza Two. Um, Actually, pretty good DLC. But and, yeah, and, and it, re- it revisits events of Yakuza Zero. It's Majima Saga is very good. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I, I think that that you're right. This is the right answer. Greatest, like I said, greatest enemy would be a different answer. Greatest opponent, I think it's Majima. All right. So I think that's enough about Majima for now. Uh, the next category is called bonus footage. Is there a moment or uh, situation in Kiryu's story that we know happened but do not actually see? Like, like what do we think is the most interesting part of Kiryu's life that we don't experience for ourselves. Um, there's a That's lot of interesting question. Here. Yeah. yeah. Like, do we want to v- revisit um, uh, Kiryu's past at the orphanage before he became a Yakuza? Do we want to uh, look at the space in between Yakuza zero and one where he built his legend and became uh, and became a famous Yakuza sometime between 88 and 95? Uh, do we want to go into what happened during his multiple prison stays? Mm. What what happened when he was working as an undercover agent of the Daidoji faction between 2016 and 2023? Uh, there's a lot of different stuff that we could go here. Um, what is a moment or a time in Kiryu's life that you wish we knew more about or could see, in fact? Interesting. The 10 years that he was in jail is a fascinating time period to me. Because, I mean, it's 10 years. Surely he had to get up to something during that period. But canonically, during those 10 years, he doesn't do anything. And we know this because when he comes back to Kamurocho, Majima beats the crap out of him and says, wow, you're at a practice. You're not the man you used to be. And to me, that indicates that not a whole lot interesting happened in those 10 years because Kiryu has gotten that rusty. Um, I think that there could be a story in there, though. But by that point in time... I honestly think no. I think that during that 10 years, nothing would have happened. Kiryu was nobody special at that point. He was the dragon of Dojima, but that was kind of a local nickname for him among, you know, the Dojima, uh, among the uh, Dojima family. Like he wasn't like a Yakuza legend at that point. He was just another Yakuza who was in jail for murder. So I don't see like anyone going to look for him to help with a secret mission or anything like that. I think he just literally spent 10 years in prison, kind of maybe even enjoying the uh the routine and the the structure of prison i feel I, like i I'm, i think it's a bit of a stretch to say oh kiryu loved prison it's i like, don't think he like, loved prison no. I, no 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 no. i don't think kiryu would have loved prison but i think kiryu is a man of habit and routine and he's very very traditional i don't think that prison would have been the nightmare for him that i think it would have been for say ichiban I'm actually a little bit surprised that Ichiban didn't have walk away with more emotional damage from prison than he did. Yeah, I mean Ichiban was there for 18 years while Kiryu was there for 10. And but, but I mean I, I mean quantity is not important, but uh but it's I I think that it's Ichiban is even more remarkable for being as compassionate and good as he is following an 18-year prison sentence. Oh my god, yeah, because Kiryu is an he he is a masterclass in stoicism like he just that's i mean he has a face like granite that's the joke whereas ichiban wears his heart in his sleeve like the difference between the two is and i think that's one of the reasons why ichiban works so well as the new yakuza protagonist is because he's so different from kiryu in that fundamental way but but, what what bonus footage do you wish you uh, knew more about uh, in kiryu's life that's an interesting question. The The bonus footage I wish I knew nothing about was the man who erased his name. I wish that was bonus footage. <laughs> um, the bonus footage that I would be most interested in seeing. Hmm. Actually, you know what? The three years he spent in prison in Yakuza, uh, in Yakuza 6, The Song of Life. 
Because by that point, he really was this, he really was the legend. He was the dragon at Dojima. He had the reputation. I think that interesting things could have happened to him in prison during that time. He didn't know about them. It'd be interesting if the Daidoji faction, that's where they spotted him. That's where they thought, this guy could be good. And they started maybe putting him into situations to test him. I think that would be an interesting bit of uh, retconning right there. Uh, for me, it, I, I, the, it, it's definitely the 88 to 95 period. So um, Kiryu mm. is between 22 and 29 years old. He's building his legend. By 1995, he's one of the top fighters in the uh, uh, in the entire Dojima clan. And uh, and he's still best friends with Nishikiyama and Yumi and 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 Reina, uh, another um, another beloved minor like a dragon character who uh, mm -hmm. left who left us too soon. Um, and I mean, and everything that happens between Nishikiyama and Kiryu is super tragic in the events of Yakuza one in 2005 or uh, and and while well, Kiryu's in jail. But I, I would love to see Kiryu and Nishikiyama on an adventure or handling some uh so, some some major crisis in the early 90s i think that is a an, an unexplored time in kiryu's life because we know a lot about 1988 and a lot about 2005 onward but uh that period from 88 to 95 but before he's imprisoned um i would love to play a game set there or learn more about what happened in that period mm. yeah that's the bonus footage i want that's about maybe some of Kiryu's unknown triumphs. Let's go to some of his known failures. Um, the next category is called Reset Button. What is one decision or one event that Kiryu wishes he could retcon or redo or take back? Uh, we, we had a couple uh, ideas like this. Um, I think that you, um, him willingly going into prison at the beginning of Yakuza 6 is a good candidate for this. I think that... Um, uh, the, uh, in 1995, going to jail instead of Nichikiyama is a, is a candidate for this. Uh, I would also say that um, what if he had taken the um, the chairman position at the end of Yakuza 1 instead of immediately retiring one day after being appointed the fourth chairman? Because um, that sets off the events of Yakuza's 2 onward in maybe a negative way. Uh, what do you think is, and uh, I mean to say nothing of uh, the deaths of Yumi and Reina and Rikia and uh, all, and and a lot of unnecessary suffering that happens over the course of these games. What do you think is one moment or decision Kiryu could take back? I think it'd be Rikia. Rikia, really over Yumi? I think so. I think so. Uh, I don't think that Kiryu could have done anything to save her, and I think that in many ways Kiryu does. I mean, yes, in in the new game there is a period where he looks back on his life and everything, the impact that he had on people and his choices. But up to that point, he never really looks back. I don't, but I don't think that, I think even he could have realized there was not much that could have been done in that, in that scenario. I don't think he could have done anything to fix it. I think that in this case, he feels he could have told him to go to hell or he could have told him, you leave me alone. I think he would have, uh, I think he would have tried to uh, save his life. I, I honestly do. I have a an answer for this that's maybe a little bit low stakes compared to compared to this, and maybe this isn't as bad a decision as the beginning of Yakuza Six, mm -hmm. or uh, and and doesn't you know offer the possibility of reforming the Yakuza like I suggested. Um, he accept the the fourth chairman role at the end of Yakuza One. Mm -hmm. I think Kiryu really wishes he hadn't gone to Fukuoka at the beginning of Yakuza Five. He, what if he didn't follow Mirai Park's advice? And when uh, Haruka goes to become an idol singer in Osaka, what if he either stayed in Okinawa and and raising the kids of the orphanage, or if he had accompanied her to to Okinawa? I'm sorry, to Osaka to become her chaperone, sort of how um, Akiyama's role happened in that game. Like it, the events of Yakuza Five might have still happened. Mm. With uh, with different Yakuza leaders in the Tojo and Omi um, going missing or being targeted for murder and uh, and uh, and a, a, a mysterious um, agent trying to collapse both organizations. Maybe that would have still happened. But I think that Kiryu really does regret abandoning the orphans and Haruka before Yakuza 5 when when ultimately Haruka uh, like to a audience of millions of people um announced that he was that uh that that he was her true father 
basically Haruka wishes he had never tried to disappear in Yakuza Five, and the and uh, the events of Yakuza Five were also Kiryu's first uh, venture into trying to truly disappear. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, um, which is one of the one. That's one of the th- reasons why I again dislike the man who erased his name. The entire time I was playing it, I was like, "Ah, oh, we've seen this game before." I, I think that he misses the orphans too much and wish that he hadn't disappeared in Yakuza 5. The, the whole Taichi Suzuki arc is regrettable. I think you might be right about that. But again, I feel like it's in character with his big character flaw, which is he constantly underestimates his own importance to those he to those who love him. That's the reason why I think his actions at the beginning of Yakuza 5 makes sense to me, leaving, leaving and going under an assumed identity. Uh, and the actions at the beginning of Yakuza 6 don't, because I don't see how him going to prison helps anybody, but I do see him thinking that him vanishing out of their lives was going to help the orphans. Yeah, I, I think him vanishing might have helped Haruka's career if someone tried to expose her as the foster daughter of a of a famous gangster. Mm. But uh, but he, he doesn't help the orphans by uh, disappearing from their lives and sending money to them uh, via ATM every so often. I, I, I think that that's a major regret he has, and he wishes he could take that back. Yeah, I buy that. But speaking of regrets, the na- next category is called Biggest Regret. But like our Villains episodes, this um, Biggest Regret is not about our subject itself. We've already talked about Kiryu's regrets a lot. What other character besides Kiryu do you think regrets how they dealt with Kiryu? Who regrets the most underestimating him or making a decision that put Kiryu in there uh, as an obstacle to them. I mean, you could argue this is like any villain in any of the games <laughs> that, uh, that that had their plans foiled by Kiryu or were killed because of Kiryu. But who do you think has the most justifiable regret for how it went down? Uh, not even a doubt in my mind, Nishiki. Yeah. If, if Nishiki had, had gone to prison and let that play out the way it did, then he might have lost Yumi. He might have lost part of his life. He wouldn't have been. He wouldn't have risen to the top of the Tojo. Uh, but it, the outcome would have been better for him and Kiryu. Or if he had demonstrated compassion, and while Kiryu was gone, instead of building resentment for ten years and trying to murder him when Kiryu was out of prison, what if he had welcomed Kiryu back with open arms and like immediately offered him his uh like the, the capt like the second in command of the Nishikiyama family? Like what if he had just immediately uh, accepted Kiryu again and tried to make good, but, but instead he just he just is goes on a an absolute war path that that ruins the lives of ev- everyone around them, In, including minor characters like uh like like Shinya or the third Tojo chairman or just a, a bunch of like, a bunch of bad stuff happens in Yakuza One that could have been prevented if Nishikiyama wanted to stay friends with Kiryu. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's my answer. I mean, obviously, obviously, anyone who ever tried fighting Kiryu, like you said, has a big regret because they lost and lost massively. But Nishiki, I think, would regret more than his loss. In fact, I think that Nishiki, in many ways, based on his final actions, I think at in Nishiki and his death, I think, might have been relieved that he didn't succeed, if that makes sense. He, I think, maybe deep down, he wanted Kiryu to stop him. Through the uh, through the entire events of Yakuza One, but uh, but I, I think that he didn't have to make it like that. He, oh no! It, like if if he had just done a couple things dif- differently and didn't build up this insane uh, resentment, then like basically the rest of the series doesn't happen because Kiryu and Nishikiyama are both high ranking members in the Tojo Clan forever. But, yeah. Uh, but no, he he couldn't have it that way. Mm. Um, one character I think is full of regrets. Um, and it's not it's not really related to Kiryu. It's related to other characters. Is um, a, a guy who I've mentioned multiple times in podcasts is one of my favorite villains in the series, uh, Yoshitaka Mine and Yakuza Three. Oh um, yeah, he is obsessed with money and power. Uh, he because he all he also grew up in an orphanage like Kiryu did, but he lacked a, a strong father figure or a strong d- drive to succeed until he joined the Yakuza um, by by asking to join and paying to join, in fact, and meeting Daigo Dojima. And meet when uh, when Dojima is uh, is injured and in a coma for a while, uh, Mine is just shattered and and starts making destructive decisions left and life, left and right when he thinks da- uh, Daigo is going to die. That relates to him working with the uh, with a terrorist organization 
and trying to demolish Kiryu's orphanage for a real estate deal, which which puts Kiryu in as an obstacle to him. A, a bunch of nasty stuff happens to Mine because he loses his mind in the uh, pursuit of money and power and and uh, and Daigo Dojima also almost dying. But if he had been a little patient and <laughs> just let Daigo recover in the hospital, then we could live in a world where uh, where Daigo is the chairman of the Tojo. Mine is his second in command. Maybe they're boyfriends or husbands, because I, I, I was about to say there's if there's one character who I suspect is is gay, really, in the entire uh, of the major character of Yakuza, it's Mine. Yep. I think Mine loved Loved him. I, there's no doubt in my mind. In the finale of Yakuza 3, the way he says how much he loves and respects Daigo really feels uh, romantic and not just respectful. And so, so like, I, I know a lot of people will have, well, you could say, uh, I mean, this is, sorry for using fandom terms, like Yuri goggles or Yaoi goggles, where you see same-sex relationships, uh, like, as where there isn't a lot of evidence. or, or You, you or can just ship just about anybody if you yeah, want. Yeah, if, if you're creative and determined enough, you can ship anybody. But I think that Mine really was in love with Daigo. I agree 100%. I think that, and not not just that, I think that story becomes stronger if he is in love with him. And if Mine had just been a little bit more patient, hadn't tried to dissolve to destroy the orphanage, had uh, like like didn't do the deal with uh, with the terrorists uh, with Andre Richardson, and had just waited for Daigo to recover from his injuries, then it it, it could it could have been great for him. But no, mm-hmm. it just it just ends in the most tragic way possible. I yeah. was I was thrilled where Mine is your a- when my when I learned that Mine is your ally in like a dragon machine because I just. I I, uh, I I love that character so much. It was great to have him, you know, have a good ending for once. In a way that he, yeah, in a way that he's back. Because there are a lot of amazing characters in Yakuza that I don't want to say are wasted, but don't, do not reach their potential as a character because they, you know, the story demands that they have to sacrifice themselves or, and in this case, Mine sacrifices himself. I, but it would have been, it would have been fascinating to see where he went, what became of him. Yeah, Yakuza Zero, Yakuza Five are full of so many great one-game characters, mm-hmm. like like the Dojima Lieutenants or uh, or Nishitani, or uh, in in Five, uh, um, Baba I think is a really great underutilized character. Um, uh, 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 let's see, Katsuya and uh, and Watase are barely in other games, but I think they're two awesome, awesome villains. I thought Watase was going to be the final boss of Yakuza Five for a while, but uh, mm. but that, that's not how that game decided to go. Um, <laughs> like, like there's so many good one game guys in Yakuza that it was so fun seeing a bunch of them back in Ishin. I, I hope they do another game like that someday, but maybe they will, maybe they won't. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, this conversation is actually okay. You know, the game that I would love to see, and I think it's the only way i would want to see kiryu come back as a main character maybe not as a playable character but as a main character and i don't think they'll ever do this this is this is ridiculous it's too much inside inside baseball so to speak it's too too self-referential i would love to see a what if game (laughs) for yakuza i would love to see a what if game what if kiryu showed up like two minutes too late and the police had arrived to arrest nishiki and like what if what if he went to prison and Kiryu remained out during the 1990s? <laughs> so, uh, so like we're we're talking about a uh, Yakuza alternative where the main character is Nishikiyama and he has to take down the corrupt boss of the Tojo clan, Kazuma Kiryu. <laughs> I don't think that. I think there's a lot more subtlety that could go into that. I don't think Kiryu would become corrupt. Right. I do not think that Kiryu would be the same Yakuza paladin that he becomes if not for those events. I would be interested to see, I would be very interested to see a Kiryu, because he was in his early 20s, and yeah, his personality was already somewhat set, but like, events happen. I would be very interested to see what would happen with a Kiryu who was much more involved in the day-to-day operations of the Tojo clan. If he, if over those 10 years, he genuinely became a, well, criminal. Possibly, but I mean, I, I mean, I don't think that's ever happening. I don't think it will ever happen either, but I think it would be a fascinating exploration of the character and natures uh, of characters and it would also give us a chance to see nishiki again uh, nishiki again and see if there could be some redemption there 
we at least know they have a good relationship with uh, Nichikiyama's voice actor because he's Ichiban. <laughs> yes, the but, only one who could possibly sing Judgment with again. Yeah, uh, and it's it's crazy how much they reuse voice actors in the Yakuza games. Like two of the, two of the minor characters in Yakuza Three are um, two of the uh, uh, Onomichi Yakuza boys in Yak in uh, in Yakuza Six, and <laughs> uh, and one of the main villains of Yakuza One is the is uh, is Chief Nakajima in Yakuza Five. Um, <laughs> It, it's uh, it's uh, it, it's it's so crazy how like you can tell there's certain people they like working with and keep bringing back. But uh, I don't think they're bringing Kiryu back without spoiling the events of Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. Um, th they really wanted this that game to be uh, just full of n positive nostalgia for Kiryu and a celebration of Kiryu without making the game about Kiryu. And we'll, we'll talk about Like a Dragon 8 slash Infinite Wealth at a later date. But for now... Um, I don't know. I think we've I think we've really broken down a lot of why we love uh, Kazuma Kiryu, Jono. And yeah, uh, I mean, we're two of the biggest Like a Dragon advocates on RPG fan and we're and we host two of the podcasts. <laughs> so we ha we have I mean, we, we have the uh, we the have soap, the platform. Yeah, we have the soapbox for it, the platform for it. Uh, and, and we both take advantage of that on occasion. I, I just I was just so excited to talk about Like a Dragon um, over the course of playing uh, Infinite Wealth. That I scheduled this episode is like, man, well, let's just talk about Kiryu for an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah, I, I'm glad you did because I feel the same way. Although I got to be completely honest with you, I'm kind of hoping for a break because we got Ishin, we've got Man Who Erased His Name, and we got Infinite Wealth in a real short time frame. I'm frigging exhausted right now of Yakuza games. And I think, um, uh, let's see, uh, Like a Dragon 7 was 2020. Then we had Lost Judgment in twenty one, and then uh, and then we had those two and a half games or or one and a half games in twenty twenty three. I think they are going to take a break. Uh, and nothing's it's, been announced lately. There's no there's nothing that we know about. We know that they have games in the pipeline, but they have not said said what they are or when they're going to come out. So I think we are we can go on a Ryu Gagotoku hiatus for a while. Mm. And and I, I love these games. I I finally caught up to the entire series uh just last december i i finished um i finished gaiden and the kaito files basically back to back uh mm -hmm. and and now i've i've played all the ones i want to play which means which is another way of saying there won't be a yakuza dead souls episode of retro encounter anytime <laughs> soon although i do want to play dead souls at some point i'm curious about it but i've seen uh most of the cutscenes on youtube and i think that's enough for me <laughs> There's a lot, let's put it this way, there's a lot that they can still do with the series, like so much, just in terms of re-releases, like we have, we have another Samurai game that they could remaster or do a brand new version of. We have, like you said early in this, the PSP games, they're completely different games, but they could be developed into a framework for a remake very easily. I, I would play a Kiwami remake of either Kenzan or three or just about anything because I, I love this series and I'm a, a little sad that uh, I don't think there's going to be any, any Kiryu centric games anymore, but also a little relieved in, in the same way that you felt were uh, expressing relief before. I think if we play as Kiryu again, it might be in a dream again or uh, a past life. Um, maybe they'll pick another famous property to adapt like fist of the North star. Like, uh, do 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 we want Ryu Gagotoku Studio to adapt? Oh, I don't know, like City Hunter starring Ichiban as Ryo Saiba. <laughs> Maybe that's too nerdy a reference for uh, for listeners. But okay, listeners, if I'm talking about my favorite '80s action detective manga, maybe it's time to end the episode. Um, but 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 before we really uh, start housekeeping, Jono, I mentioned that we've done several games about specific uh, villains in the past, mm -hmm. uh, and and not living in yakuza slash like a dragon world anymore what's your pitch for an rpg villain that deserves their own episode just like we analyzed kiryu today um i'll let you think about that a little bit while yeah, i please do because well, that's a big one. Oh yeah and no, i i didn't i didn't warn you about that one ahead of time <laughs> i'll let me uh talk to our lovely listeners before you uh get i get that answer from you uh please listeners do. thank you so much for uh uh putting up with our uh, Dragon of Do Dojima Appreciation Station episode of Retro Encounter. Um, we're going to have another Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth spoiler cast. Oh, excuse me, another. We're going to have a Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth spoiler cast in a few weeks to continue the a Year of the Dragon episodes on Retro Encounter. Also, uh, more immediately, we're doing two episodes on Dragon Quest XI uh, 
Echoes of an Elusive Age. I had to pause and remember that for a second. Uh, next week and the following week to fill out February. And also we're continuing a different kind of Dragon Quest with uh, an episode all about Dragon Age 2 coming in early March. We did some episodes in Dragon Age Oranges in December and we liked them so much that everyone on that episode decided to move on to the next game. So we have uh, Dragon Quest Eleven. Dragon Age 2, Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth, all coming as part of our uh, Year of the Dragon episodes. And after those, um, we're not really talking about dragons anymore, or maybe we're just talking, taking a break from dragons to talk about dragoons with two episodes on Final Fantasy IV coming in the second half of March. So uh, please look forward to all of those and uh, and possibly more uh, Cosmo Curio discussion coming on Retro Encounter. So uh, let's see, before we really close it out, uh, Jono, what's an RPG villain you think deserves an episode? This is going to be a tricky one. I don't even know how you'd handle this, but I think it could be a really interesting discussion. The problem is the timeline. I think Ganon. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, because just like there are so many, there are so many links and Zeldas like throughout the timeline. Every single time you play as a link, it's a different link. But theoretically, it's always Ganondorf or a ver- version of Ganondorf or the embodiment of his evil or hate or... I think that could be an interesting, uh, an interesting conversation to have because there's so many different versions of him, but theoretically, it's always the same being. Fascinating. I mean, we would have to compare the different versions of Ganondorf or Ganon and uh, talk about his motivations in each game, where he's basically sort of a faceless pig demon at one point to this um, surprisingly deep character in Tears of the Kingdom. Um, there's, yeah, there'd be a lot of Ganon to talk about for sure. That's a very interesting answer. Thank you, Jono. No problem. My answer for this is maybe a little too specific. Um, We did some episodes on Live Alive in uh, late 2022, I think. I'd have to double check. Don't uh, hold me to that. And the main villain of that game, a evil force named Odio, who takes the form of eight different villains over the course of Live Alive, is so interesting to me. And the boss fight against them is so cool. And the just the the story framework for Live Alive is so good that I would play. I, I mean, I, I wish they Octopath Traveler to Live Alive. I wish they did basically mm. just another game just like it, but with different characters in different scenarios. Because the uh, the unifying evil force of Odio and the the interesting structure of that game is so cool. I almost want to just do a third Live Alive episode just talking about its villain because I've I've th- that's I've thought about Live Alive a lot since playing the remake. Um, a couple of years ago, and yeah, the, I think the villain's a major part of it. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, um, that's a, that's a good that's a good idea too. Oh, here's an idea that you okay if you want to do a villain episode and one of your other favorite episodes, which is oh, a draft. Oh, uh, I bet this would make Nikki happy. Um, how about an Ace Attorney uh, villain draft? An Ace Attorney fantasy draft where we have to we have to have villains and prosecutors in two of the slots. Yeah, I'm just talking about like every single. Every every killer, who is the best killer? Oh boy, that that is too specific, even for retro encounter. I don't know about that. Yeah, now, I know. I'll shoot. Be Mi- fun though. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll shoot Nikki a message later, and uh, and she'll send me a ranked tier list. I think. <laughs> okay. But, okay, we've talked about what's coming next in retro encounter. Uh, we also have two other fine podcasts here on ran- on random here on RPG Fan. <laughs> they are Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness and what RPGs are uh, we are playing, and that's mostly hosted by you, Jono. Yeah, I actually just recorded the uh, next episode tonight, actually. Uh, And we are going to be talking about uh, two really kind of interesting games. Uh, We're talking about uh, Eastward Atopia, which is the DLC for the the pixel art action adventure that came out in 2001, uh, Eastward. And we're talking about... 2001 or 2021? 2021. Thank you. Oh, boy. Oh, right. That was... Yes, we're not that old yet. Um, Maybe I thought you were talking about like the Super Famicom East of Eden games (laughs) for a second. Uh, And the other one is a game called Under the Castle, which is a uh, roguelike RPG for the Playdate. If anyone out there knows what the Playdate is. Uh, It's a very Game Boy... Game Boy Pocket type... uh, handheld device and it's it's really interesting and I, it was it was a good conversation the, the i have seen footage of a playdate game that was about just uh that was kind of like tapper where you were just pouring beers 
mm-hmm. and uh, and trying to get them to a certain level by using the crank correctly. And it made me want to try a play date until I double checked the price and saw it was like over two hundred dollars. Yeah, so they I, are a little expensive. So, so, <laughs> that's why I don't have one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I can't justify the purchase at this time. But the play date is a super interesting machine, and I would love to hear a podcast about uh, someone with a lot of experience with one. And that sounds like that's happening in just a few days here on on RPG Fan. Yeah, and then in a few, and then in a few weeks, we're going to be doing. Uh, once it's released, we'll be doing a uh, random encounter that's entirely focused on Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, neither. I, I mean, it's it's a no, it's a no brainer. My pre order is in, and there is it's very probable we'll have a retro encounter episode about that as well because we did the same for the uh, Final Fantasy VII remake um about a month after it came out uh in 2020 but uh all right that's enough um, enough about random encounter uh there's also a third rpg fan podcast rhythm encounter it's every other two weeks and it is mostly about rpg music and rhythmness so please enjoy retro rhythm and random encounter on your podcast app of choice and leave us all five stars out of five reviews if that is how that um they are arranged on those uh, venues. But uh, there's all, many other ways to support RPG Fan. There's the website itself, RPGFan.com, where we post new articles every day. We also have pref- pref- uh, excuse me. We also have presences on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, always as either RPG Fan or RPG Fan.com, as well as a dedicated Discord, also called RPG Fan. Uh, and hmm. uh, if you go to RPGFan.com slash shop, you can buy RPG Fan apparel, including baby onesies, hoodies accessories like phone cases and coffee mugs um a lot of ways to support rpg fan whether it's by uh merchandise podcasts or uh social media Um, the book oh right and the book um, there's a link from the rpgfan.com slash shop page to a hyperplay rpg a public a uh a mag a a fanzine and uh and put and book publisher um, based in the UK, that published a book of a paperback volume of around 300 RPG fan review cards from over the years. Review cards are truncated versions of our reviews that have a that have a nice splashy visual and uh, it includes both uh, reviews from both Jono and I and dozens of other RPG fan reviewers from over the years. I have a copy. It's awesome. You should get one for your for yourselves. And uh, uh, Jono, it's, it's a pretty impressive tone. It's a. I, I love it. I have it on my bookshelf. I just love it. It's so cool. So, yeah, listeners, um, those are many of the ways to enjoy RPG Fan. And um, if you're not really sure how to react, whether you want to listen to another podcast or buy some merch or just make an important decision in your lives, I would ask yourself this. What would Kira you do? Thank you. Good night and good luck. Good luck.